Hey folks, David Shepard here, and we are back with The Herd. I think the last time I had a chance to talk to you was in late July. We were just uh, coming up on the end of the legislative session, had a little time to relax, and we are back at it with me here today to talk about some of what's been happening. My good colleague, Racky Pancholi, our critic on children's services, MLA for Edmonton White Mud. How are you doing, Racky? Oh, David, I'm so excited to be here. First episode, yeah. first season. I, Absolutely. I got to be on with Janice last season, but this is pretty exciting. It's great to have you back. How how was your break in between sessions? We had uh, about two and a half months there. Uh, yeah. What'd you do with your time? You know what? It didn't feel like that much of a break because there's so much work to do, right? There's so many, the- you know, although I have to say getting out into the community in a COVID-friendly, safe way of course. Um, over the summer was really great to reconnect with constituents and really hear what they were talking about. It really boosted my energy and got me excited to get back in the session because there's a lot of things that Albertans care about and they want to hear us standing up for them. So I'm excited to be back. Absolutely. And speaking of which, things certainly have not slowed down since July. Uh, Coming in September, of course, everyone going back to school. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, this year, I believe, would have been the year that the curriculum changes would have started to be introduced in kindergarten to grade four. Uh, UCP, of course, campaigned on tearing up the curriculum, uh, slowed that process down, appointed an advisory council. What were your thoughts when you saw that council appointed last year? Well, when I first saw that council, I thought, where are the teachers and where are the women? And then, uh, of course, the big thought that I think most people were concerned about was looking at some of the people who were handpicked by the UCP to be making decisions about what our kids are going to be learning. In particular, the appointment of Chris Champion, right, who has a long record of denying uh, the importance of, of learning about Indigenous history and experience mm. culture, uh, calling uh, Indigenous history a fad, uh, refuting that we talk about residential schools. So, I mean, I was nervous. As a parent, I have to say, I was like, this is the person who is making decisions about what my kids are going to be learning in school. I was deeply concerned, as so many people were. And indeed, what we saw last week, of course, is a great piece there from Janet French over at CBC. Early draft of recommendations on the curriculum, uh, heavily edited, I think, probably by Mr. Champion himself. And we saw exactly that. I, I couldn't believe it. So basically saying, you know what, residential schools are way too sad to talk to kids about in kids. Now, let's be clear. The kids that were being taken and sent to residential schools were that age. This is not history that is inappropriate to teach. There's ways to teach it. But not only that, basically pulling that out, ridiculous stuff that they want to put in, teaching Bible verses is poetry. Having kids being, you know, saying it's important that kids recognize the sound of Big Ben. And just, it's, I've never seen, I think, anything quite so regressive or parochial. You know, I have to tell you, David, when I first saw that recommendations that were coming out, uh, my first reaction was absolutely, as a parent, my heart sank. I mean, my kids are in kindergarten and grade two. So what we're talking about, that curriculum, that's going to be what they're going to be learning. And I I had my first response of feeling, I, I can't, I don't know how I feel about my kids going into school and learning this kind of curriculum. But I have to say a couple things. One, I was shocked to see, although, I mean, we know because of Chris Champion's past views, to see that residential schools would be taken out. I can tell you, my grade two son was on orange shirt day, got absolutely appropriate, age appropriate Mm. learnings about residential schools um, from his teacher, because she's a fantastic teacher, as so many are. And he understands that it's important for him to know about the history of of his cult of of our society and our culture. So he he wasn't too sad. I mean, of course, it's it's something he needs to know about. He thinks about those kids like he thinks about his classmates. Right. So uh, kids can absolutely learn that. Absolutely. So I was just I was absolutely shocked uh, and really disgusted. Um, But, you know, one of the things that I keep thinking 
thinking about is I know that we have great teachers. I know that we have great school boards. Um, and despite how terrible this UCP government is approaching curriculum, uh, I know that they're going to stand up and, and say that they understand how kids should learn. They understand what kids need to learn. And we need to have that in our curriculum. And uh, we're going to keep arguing for that. Absolutely. And educational experts yeah. that have looked at this. I mean, uh, the initial report, they said, you know, it was just absolutely embarrassing. They called it racist. They said it would make Alberta a laughing stock. Yeah. You know, really heavy emphasize. Uh, I will try that sentence again. Really heavy emphasis on memorization, rote memorization, saying just make these kids memorize all this stuff. They don't know what it's for, but trust us, they'll be happy about it later when we talk about other things. Something that goes completely against everything we've learned about how kids learn and deep learning and uh, over the last 20 years of, I think, educational development and theory. So it's incredibly disappointing, again, to see Jason Kenney, see this crew doubling down on really ideology. And even things like residential schools, you know, Mr. Chan, sort of said, well, you know, we can talk about that later, but we could also talk about, you know, how me, how bad it was for kids to have to go to boarding school in England, you know, where maybe they got treated badly by some of the other kids and were hazed and they got the strap occasionally. It's just and saying that equates with taking kids out of their culture, systemically stripping them of their language, their beliefs, any connection with their parents. It's it's just mind boggling. Yeah, and you know what? And it also just goes to show that how regressive this government is when it comes to thinking about how kids learn and preparing kids for the world around them. You know, we've had a very strong education system in our province for decades, mm. one that we was world class, so we could be so proud of, and preparing kids for the future. Now we're talking about not, not just, that doesn't just make us a laughing stock. It makes our kids unprepared for the world around them and actually hinders our ability to make sure we have the best educated, best trained, most creative, innovative um, society that we want to make Alberta a place that people want to come and live and invest and, and, uh, and, and be an exciting place for us to be. Going back in time just shows signals to the world that we're backwards thinking and we're not a place that's about innovation and creativity and responding to the world around us. It just hinders our reputation worldwide. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that fascinates me about this government is where they see fit to get in and meddle and where they insist that they have to keep their hands off. Now, of course, the other big thing that's happening this fall is we've seen this rise in cases of COVID-19. So back in the spring in May, you know, uh, Kenny, uh, he, Premier Kenny, he, he put forward a bunch of really big steps they were going to take to make sure we could safely reopen our economy. They wanted to be the first in Canada to get us up and running again. They like to brag about that fact. So he made commitments like, wow, we're going to hit, we're going to do 20,000 tests a day. We're going to make sure that we have lots of contract tracers. We're going to put all these things in place to make sure we can keep COVID case numbers down. Now, over the last little while, we've seen COVID case numbers in Edmonton in particular are rising. Calgary's not far behind. Lethbridge is seeing a huge increase. And the Premier has insisted on sort of this laissez-faire, hands-off kind of policy. But it seems to me that we are getting to a point now where the government really has to step up and take some responsibility. Absolutely. And he has to take responsibility as premier. He has to show leadership because his failure to act and his failure to, to act as a leader is really going to result in the kinds of restrictions and shutdowns that nobody wants to see. 
Absolutely. We want to ensure that Albertans can continue to work. We know that they're still recovering from the shutdown uh, in the spring. They want to keep their businesses going. They want to be able to keep going to school. They want to be able to keep putting their kids in childcare. Our economy depends on it. So that means taking the health and safety of Albertans seriously. It means putting in uh, the proper measures to ensure that we don't have to have a shutdown. We don't have to do restrictions. And that's why I'm really, I'm really proud that we stood up and, and put out that plan asking for specific measures that we can take, health and safety measures that the government should put in right now so that we don't have to have a shutdown. So that Absolutely. we can so we can track those cases. Uh, we know where they're coming from. We can get testing turnaround fast. Those are the things we need to do to keep our economy going and the government's showing and the premier is showing a complete lack of leadership. Absolutely. And I was really happy to be able to stand with Rachel this week to put out that plan to be clear for folks. Six basic things that this government can do immediately to help bring these COVID case numbers down, help ensure that Albertans do not have to go into another economic lockdown, which we don't want, Albertans don't want. And But the premier doesn't seem to be willing to do anything concrete to avoid. So things like just reverse the plan, first of all, to fire 11,000 frontline healthcare workers. Yeah, We're creating no chaos, right? indeed, across the field. I'll talk more about that later. Uh, faster turnaround for testing results and public re reporting of turnaround times. So we just heard yesterday, uh, the Minister of Health sort of stood in the legislature and Dr. Hinshaw confirmed later, and he said that the reason that on Tuesday we had less than 10,000 tests done so we were at testing like near 20,000, like, oh, just over 17,000 on Saturday, less than 10,000. So under half of what the premier had promised on Tuesday, that's because they pulled asymptomatic people out. Because A, they want, because they want to create capacity for flu season and because turnaround times were too high. They said they could not bring turnaround times down without lowering the number of tests they were doing. So we need to make the investments, obviously, to turn this around so parents aren't sitting at home waiting to find out on their child's test when they've come home from school with symptoms or other things like that. Hiring more than 1,300 human contact tracers. So we're just over 800 right now. They've committed to, uh, they're working on hiring, they said. I just heard in the radio today, another 380. Why have they not been working on that over the last five months? Why are they waiting to the last minute when case numbers are going up? Immediately bringing in the contact tracing app into Alberta. What do you think on that? What have you been hearing from folks? Well, on? you know, I think we know exactly why this government has not committed to working with the federal government to get that contact tracing app. Is we heard it from Jason Nixon in the House this week, David, right? Yes. We heard him say Trudeau's app. Trudeau's yes. app, right? And so to think that the current government is actually not getting on board with a federal contact tracing app because of politics, mm -hmm. because they don't Shameful. like they don't like the political party of the prime minister. And they're holding back Albertans from being able to to track yep. and to trace where 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 uh, infections are coming from. Indeed. Which, by the way, all that contact tracing helps us to prevent economic shutdown. So. To think that that these decisions are being made uh, by you know for partisan ideological reasons by this government is absolutely appalling lack of leadership and it's, it's jeopardizing our public health. And so another thing that we asked for, they're introducing a COVID-19 risk index. That's something the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce asked this government to implement. Just give us that information daily. Shandro seems to feel that you know the little bit of information they give out every week, they're sort of playing a cagey game. He thinks that's enough. Edmonton Chamber of Commerce, other businesses have asked for more. I don't think that's an unreasonable thing. Absolutely. And then lastly, developing and publishing a provincial staffing plan for continuing care facilities. So because we recognize that is, of course, where the most vulnerable people are. That has been the point of weakness before with the, the high scale of privatization. That's where the outbreaks have happened. And
and other provinces make sense to be ready for that now. Absolutely. But overall, you know, the biggest concern for me here is, you know, and I heard this on CBC again today, you know, in Calgary now, they have a field hospital at the Peter Lougheed where they are taking overflow from the ER because they're again having to take up hospital capacity for COVID cases. We know that's happening here in Edmonton as well. They said that Edmonton is in fact worse than Calgary. So we know the pressure is building. We've got frontline healthcare workers. We've got our doctors, our nurses, others who of course have been already under pressure. This government's been attacking them all year long in the midst of a global pandemic. And then this recent announcement all of a sudden that they're going to fire another 11,000 frontline healthcare workers. So in the midst of this, now these are folks who are working in laundry. These are folks who are working in labs. And these are folks who are working in custodial and food services. So what are your thoughts on that, Rafi? What are you hearing from people in your community about how they feel about what the UCP is doing here? Well, you know, I think if anybody had been told a year ago that we would be facing the health pandemic that we are facing, epic proportions, you know, beyond anybody's expectations or plans, and that during that time, this would be when our provincial government would choose to attack not just doctors, not just nurses, but all healthcare workers. When, you know, just months ago, they were standing up and saying, thank you to all the healthcare mm. workers. And now they're saying, we don't value your work. You're not frontline. You might get fired. You might lose your benefits. You might lose your wages. And sorry, that's just a, to, that's all about saving money. When we're in the middle of a pandemic, like it's absolutely appalling to most people. And I get lots of emails all the time, David at my office, phone calls, people absolutely shocked in the middle of what we're going through right now. This government is belittling uh, and demeaning the work of people who are keeping our healthcare system functioning during this pandemic. So people are absolutely shocked, as am I. Like, these are Alberta workers. They're, they're doing critical work that we need for our healthcare system to operate. And, the, and this government is, is, is treating them like they're nothing. And you know what? A, just video just released today. Devinder Tour, uh, UCP MLA for Calgary Falconbridge, talking to media and saying that folks that are washing soiled bedding from COVID patients, folks that are cleaning and cleaning in hospitals, cleaning hospital rooms, corridors, all these areas, providing the sanitation to ensure that we're protecting people's health. He says, those are not frontline workers. Very adamant, arguing with the media, telling them these are not frontline workers. What do you think about that? Well, I think perhaps uh, MLA Tour should take a little time doing this work and to see what would actually happen if that work wasn't being done. Because we can't have our healthcare system functioning without that critical work, especially at a time when our we're, we're looking at the capacity, we're looking at the care that we're providing. We know that the demand is growing, the pressure is growing on our mm -hmm. healthcare system. They are frontline workers. There is absolutely no doubt about it. And I think any doctor and nurse who's working those systems will tell you they can't do their work without these people. And so these are critical workers, and it's an absolute insult to these people uh, to be diminished in their work that way when, when we know that our system would not work without them. Indeed. I'm, I'm astounded at the arrogance, yeah. frankly, of Mr. Tour, uh, the uh, Minister Shandro, all these folks that we see out there who just continue to create this chaos, this uncertainty throughout the healthcare system at a time when pressure is ramping up. We saw an editorial in the journal yesterday uh, from doctors in Edmonton saying, hey, we are under pressure. This is increasing and we need to support our workers, support our nurses. Indeed, I heard from doctors across the province sort of saying, I can't do this without nurses. I can't do this without the people that are cleaning the rooms. 
that are providing the clean linens. So this is, it's a, it's a team. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a government that's undermining and attacking that in order to help out their friends because when we see, of course, uh, on the lobbyist registry, uh, a lot of folks have noted recently, there's two companies that are uh, sort of getting in there and have registered to lobby to pick up these laundry contracts. And what do we see? Uh, one of those companies that's doing the lobbying on behalf of a laundry company, Mr. Nick Kielsbergen. So that's Jason Kenney's former chief of staff. So he's in there like a dirty shirt. No pun intended, maybe intended. You know, trying to help these companies make money, you know, that American-style private profit on, on the backs of Albertans and, uh, and our healthcare system. Well, this is just a pattern we've seen over and over from this government, right? When they're attacking the critical work that Albertans are doing, but at the same time handing out sweet deals to their buddies, right? And so whether, you know, they talk about cutting uh, 11,000 healthcare worker jobs, and yet they're handing out $30 million to a war room that's a laughing stock mm. and an embarrassment. We just saw that the inquiry into so-called foreign-funded influences on our oil and gas industry has just received another extension, another million dollars. Um, so, you know, the fiscal responsibility that this government uh, seems to apply to people doing frontline and, and critical work in our in our public se sector, well, all of a sudden that same uh, responsibility doesn't apply when it's to their buddies, right? So they're always looking out for their own. Indeed, and we saw those backroom meetings that were happening around building a private hospital here in my constituency in the heart of Edmonton. Of course, UCP donors and folks in there lobbying. And not only that, Mr. Kuhlsberg, and we know, also has been lobbying on behalf of the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. So we've seen that we've had real challenges. I've heard from I don't know how many folks in my constituency over the last year about their skyrocketing car insurance after the UCP uh, eliminated the cap that we had put in on insurance. And so I know our, our colleague, John Carson, uh, he's our critic for Service Alberta. He was up talking about this week. And what was John's uh, sort of focus? Well, John was outstanding in the legislature this week, just really asking very pointed and clear questions um, to the the Minister of Finance about, you know, whose interest is he really serving here right now? Because right now, working Albertans are struggling to pay bills and their car insurance or auto insurance has gone through the roof. And instead, we know that uh, that this Minister of Finance has actually helped that happen by lifting the cap that the NDP placed on insurance caps. Uh, he's been maybe serving the interests of some of his buddies, right? Serving the interests of the of the insurance agency. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see some new legislation coming forward uh, on insurance. And we're going to be taking a really close look at that because right now we know that the Minister of Finance is making decisions that are really going to benefit insurance companies, but not average Albertans. Indeed. And we right at the front of the line there lobbying again. Of course, we know uh, Mr. Kenny's former chief of staff, Mr. Kuhlsbergen, in there lobbying on behalf of insurance companies. And they've certainly gotten what they've wanted so far. Uh, they're making record profits on the backs of Albertans as uh, insurance premiums are skyrocketing. We'd put we'd put that 5% cap in place without that there, basically sky's the limit. So indeed, we're gonna have to look at that legislation, I think, really closely. Yeah. to see whose interests this government is really looking after. And, you know, it's not just that front bench. <laughs> There's all kinds of crazy things going on on the back bench. Of course, we talked about Mr. Tour. So I guess he's sort of towing the party line. Uh, some of the other MLAs are choosing to do a little bit more freelancing. Uh, what happened with Garth Roswell this week? Well, I got to wonder, David, if maybe Garth Roswell's also towing the party line because he stood up in the House and basically denied climate change. He argued that there was a that there's another narrative out there besides the dominant narrative about how climate change is a real issue that we need to address, mm. going against what we all know, what scientists know, what investors know, what oil and gas companies know. He stood up and basically denied climate change. And so 
You got to wonder what's happening right now, David. I certainly do. What's <laughs> happening in those back benches right now? I call it saying the quiet part out loud. Indeed. Right? Like, that seems to be what they're doing. Right? And because some of what he had to say out loud here, uh, that climate change is alarmist rhetoric by the supposed experts. Uh, Mr. Roswell, I'm not aware of him having any science degrees, but <laughs> he also claimed that climate change came from extremist agitators and malcontents who stand against capitalism and free markets. Um, maybe he's uh, offering some advice on their uh, inquiry into environmental groups. He seems to have some strong opinions there. Yeah, and you know what? The, the worst part about this, like as I remember, you know, we're all shocked when we heard him say it. But the worst part about this for us, an economic recovery in this province, is it completely undermines our credibility. It completely undermines our credibility as a province that we are taking serious action on climate change, which is what global markets are expecting, it's what investors are expecting, it's what governments are expecting. If we're trying to attract investment in our province and at the same time are, are, are spouting these conspiracy theories about climate change, we are undermining our credibility. And now more than ever, we know that we have to stand up and we have to show that we are leading into the future. Instead, we get comments like this, statements mm -hmm. like this from MLA Roswell, shows that they are, the UCP is stuck in the past. It's, that's the part that's most frustrating for me. How are we going to move forward with economic recovery with attracting people to this province when we've got backwards dinosaurs like this. Absolutely, you know, I think that ties into everything we talked about today. We're trying to build a modern progressive province that is going to attract business, going to attract investment, attract young skilled workers, retain those young skilled workers, keep mm -hmm. them from leaving. That's gonna build our economy of tomorrow. They're not going to be interested in a province with a curriculum that's running backwards, that's a laughing stock, that's built on racist beliefs. They're not going to be interested in coming to a province that's undermining its healthcare system in the middle of a global pandemic that's firing and losing skilled workers across the board in that healthcare system that's denying climate change. And they are going to be looking for a government that's actually investing and supporting people to build a modern economy that has equal opportunity for everybody. And I know one of the things you've been really passionate about on that front, if we really want to have that equal access and opportunity in our economy, is that we need to support women who have been uh, who have been disproportionately impacted by this pandemic. And one of the key ways we can do that is through early learning and childcare and making that affordable and accessible. So that's, uh, the government has some new legislation on that. Are they moving in the right direction? Well, you know, David, I think you know very well, but I'm very passionate <laughs> on this issue. Um, I can tell you that, you know, that there's, a, there's been a repeated failure by this government, not just to respond to the realities of working parents right now from the pandemic, but you know, they've been undercutting the early learning and childcare system in this province for some time, but then the pandemic hit. And like you said, we know we got to get we have to get parents back to work, particularly women and not just for equity reasons, but for economic reasons. Mm. Right. You know, our economic growth and recovery depends on getting all working Albertans back into the workforce. But women have been leaving because they don't have access to safe, affordable, quality childcare. So what we've been calling for repeatedly is a, as a whole is a strategy, a long term strategy that addresses all of those things that are barriers. What we saw this week was that. Uh, Minister uh, Schultz introduced uh, a new Early Learning and Child Care Licensing Act that doesn't address any of the primary issues that are, are facing working parents uh, to get back to work right now. So it's it's a nice act in, in they've, they've added some new language to make it sound like it's about early learning, but nothing in there is actually improving the quality of childcare for families, which is one of the key issues that families need to get back to work. They need to know that they've got a quality place to put their kids. It's investing in our kids because they're the future of our of our society and our economy. But it's also not addressing the major issue that, that parents face right now in order to get back to work, which is a 
affordability of childcare. In fact, mm. this government has taken step after step to actually make childcare more expensive by cutting supports to childcare centers, but also cutting the $25 per day pilot project that we brought in to bring in affordability directly to working parents. So the act this week, it's, I've been calling it kind of a nothing burger because quite frankly, there's not much in there that's gonna make any impact on, on addressing the needs of, of childcare for families right now. And it's all show. But more importantly, like it's, it shows that this government does not have a long-term plan for child, early learning and child care. So I, I hear what you're saying. And indeed, I recently heard from one of my constituents whose child care costs uh, at the McEwen uh, Early Learning Center uh, are more than doubling yeah. come, uh, come next year, thanks to this government cutting the supports yeah. and the, uh, the subsidies that were there to sort of that we had introduced as a government. So we had brought in our early learning child care program, $25 a day child care made a big difference for a lot of folks. This government has basically, they created a report, wrote it off, and they've canceled the program. That's right. So now we see people that have skyrocketing rates. So as you say, this is an economic issue, yeah. right? We, it, the, when, when women are able to work, they're contributing to society. They're creating businesses. We have an incredible number of women entrepreneurs mm -hmm. in the province of Alberta. So what should we be doing instead? Well, thank you for asking that, David, because I love to talk about that. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I, I just really want to point out too that like cutting the $25 per day program, not only does it affect all those families in there, but across the province, childcare is, costs are going up because it's becoming unaffordable and it's hard to deliver for uh, for families no matter where they are. Like in Calgary, we have the third highest level uh, of, of childcare fees in the country. Um, we're talking parents are paying well over 1200 1400 some up to $1,800 a month for childcare. So it's absolutely out of the realm of possibility for most families. So I know that we need to address not just affordability, but quality and accessibility. So last week, I was really proud to stand with, uh, with our leader, Rachel Notley in Calgary, and we, uh, and we uh, released a, a policy proposal on early learning and childcare, which is a six-point strategy to really address all of those issues, quality, affordability, and accessibility. It talks about the importance of having a strong uh, early childhood education workforce. We need a strategy to make sure we can keep those educators qualified and in the system. It talks about making sure that we release all the funding that's currently in the child, children's services budget. That's the minister is currently holding those dollars back, not investing them in them in uh, the childcare sector at a time that the sector is really struggling. So that's making fees go up. So we got to release those mm. funds to make sure childcare fees go down. We're talking about having an online portal to make sure that parents know where childcare is accessible, but also so we can track where we need it. We can't keep building spaces where we don't need it. We need to make sure it's, we're getting to the areas of the province that need it. And then we have a, an early learning and childcare task force who's gonna be made up of all the sector uh, representatives to make sure that we have a long-term plan. And most importantly, of course, the hallmark of, of, our, of our proposal is to roll out universal, affordable $25 per day quality early learning and childcare to all licensed childcare providers across the province. And look, David, the, one of the, this, is, this has been a, a game-changing program for the families, the educators, and the children who've been part of it. But we know, and the number one thing that we, I always get asked is, it's too expensive. Because mm. we know, rolling out a universal childcare, affordable childcare across the province, it's, it, yeah, it costs uh, almost a billion dollars a year. Not gonna, we're not gonna sugarcoat that because it's important to know that that is the cost. But we need to stop thinking of it as a cost and think about it as an investment. Mm. Because we have so much research and evidence to show that if you invest $1 in, in early learning and childcare, you get at least a $6 investment, return on your investment. So really, this is something we cannot afford not to do. 
We have to do it because it gets uh, working parents back to work, particularly women. It makes sure that we have a strong sector that's focused on early learning. Uh, it invests in our children so that we save costs later on for educational and health supports. It's really, the evidence is really clear that this is the strongest economic strategy that we can take for economic recovery. And really, the government would be wise to pay attention and listen. And we really want to hear the feedback from parents and the sector on that, that plan. We think it's a good one, but we want to hear feedback. We want to make it better. We want to make it work for all Albertans. Absolutely. And as you say, this is a key economic issue. It's a key strategy in getting our economy back up and running after COVID-19 and running even stronger for the future. Uh, that's why we've included it, I guess, as part of our uh, economic strategy that we're putting up at albertasfuture.ca. So we've had some great stuff there. We're looking at a number of areas where we can invest. Uh, hydrogen, uh, we're looking at geothermal, I think is going to have something coming up soon. Uh, we're going to be looking at tech and innovation, healthcare innovation at uh, the cultural industries. And childcare and early learning are an essential part of that as well. So anyone that wants to check that out, you can go to albertasfuture.ca. You can see our proposals there. You can provide your thoughts and advice on that too. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our first episode of the second season of The Herd. Thanks so much for being here, Racky. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having me, David. I love this. This is so, so much fun. I learned so much from you, too, because you're such a fantastic <laughs> communicator. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you, David. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we will be back next week providing you with weekly recaps of everything that's happening at the Alberta Legislature. Have a good one.